In this episode of the podcast, Coach Sheffer sits down with Coach Pat Basil, currently the head strength and conditioning coach at Hamilton College in New York, also previously serving as a similar coach at Bryant University and also SUNY Maritime. Coach Basil previously played defensive line at Bryant University and is from Long Island, New York. In this episode, we talk quite a bit about what it means to be a strength and conditioning coach, especially at the college level, and some tips and tricks for those coaches looking to get into strength and conditioning. I hope you enjoy this episode. I want to thank Coach Anthony Stone for the opportunity to be a contributing author to his new magazine, the Coach Stone Football Coaching Magazine, From the Field to Football Podcasts, Coaching in the Digital Era. This is a great opportunity for me to get out there and grow the community of the podcast. Uh, So if you're looking for some free football content, go ahead and follow the link that I'm going to provide in the description of this episode below. Uh, And you're going to get some free stuff uh, from including from me, from Coach Steve, from the Coach Steve Show, Coach PJ Davis from the Shavehead Podcast, uh, Coach Matt Bartley from the Game Records and Slobber Knockers Podcast, Coach Nick Banstra from his Kick and Cover Podcast, Gap Down Backer Podcast, and also Coach Dustin Mills from the Anchor Down Podcast, as well as many others in the future. So if you are interested in free football content, and most of us coaches are, do us a huge favor and follow the link and like and subscribe to this magazine. It will help us out tremendously. Thank you. This episode is brought to you in part by Second Skull. Second Skull is a protective headgear company focused on helping to keep athletes safe and to help keep athletes on the field participating in the sports that they love. Their products are patented, tested, and proven to reduce direct and rotational impacts to the head. Their technology is trusted by several athletic organizations and the United States military. Their pro cap is designed with the grant from the National Football League. This protective skull cap is the ultimate in thin, lightweight, and breathable protection. The pro cap is comparable to other skull caps that do not offer such protection, measuring at just two millimeters thick and weighing less than 2.4 ounces. The pro cap improves protection for all players when worn under their helmet and is perfect for football, baseball, hockey, and lacrosse. Their pro band is designed in collaboration with professional players and clubs in Spain. This protective headband provides superior protection with an aesthetic and athletic look. The pro band has a unique five panel construction with a reinforced forehead panel to deliver a natural feel and ultimate ball control at just four millimeters thick and a weight of 1.4 ounces. The pro band provides protection for all players in non-helmeted sports and activities and is ideal for soccer athletes. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can go to secondskull.com and save 20% on any products purchased from that website with the discount code armchair. That's A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R in all caps. All Armchair Coaching Podcast episodes have been edited by Coach James Heath. Follow Coach James Heath on Twitter at jrockfordheath. And if you are interested in starting your own podcast, contact Coach Heath and he will help you get set up with everything that you need for podcasting. Thank you, Coach Heath. I couldn't do it without you, brother. All right, welcome back to the Armchair Coaching Podcast. My name is Coach Sheffer, and today we've got a a special guest. We've got uh, Coach Pat Basil, who is currently the head strength and conditioning coach at Hamilton College in New York State. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Fired up to get started here. 
Awesome. Well, the first thing I'm going to ask you, Coach, is uh, something that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. I want to know about your story. Um, you know, how did you get into coaching? Um, usually we talk to football coaches specifically, but um, I wanted to talk to you about strength and conditioning. So how did you get into strength and conditioning? Um, and then talk about the stops along the way. Basically, how did you end up where you are today? Sure. Um, so really, it started with football. So growing up, I'm a football guy. My dad played in college. My brother played in college. I played in college. Growing up, we were, you know, Jets fans born and raised. So we were watching football with my dad. My, we would sit down, mom, dad, watching the games. So growing up, I started playing in fourth grade. My brother was actually a little earlier than me, um, started playing. He's older than me. But we're a football family, and I was a football guy growing up. So it's, this is definitely in my, my lifeblood, um, playing all through high school and then ultimately in college. Um, I played at Division I FCS Bryant University in Rhode Island. Um, and that's kind of where I got into coaching and strength and conditioning is the weight room was always huge for me. We started uh, – my dad had an old – like weeder weight set with, um, you know, the one inch hole space and everything was in kilograms. So it was like 22 pound weights, 33 pound weights with the old screw on, on the side. So that's what me and my brother, we started lifting weights because my dad said, Hey, you got to play football. You got to start lifting weights. So we didn't know anything. You're 10, 12 years old doing concentration curls. And he had like a bench with a leg extension on it. And just that's how we got started. Um, so we had been training, I'd say since like middle school, uh, I probably started taking training seriously when I was in like seventh, eighth grade. So as far as, you know, football my whole life, but I've been training for over 15 years. Um, just even it started in our, in like a downstairs extra room we had. Um, so big football guy, you know, big weight room guy for years now. Um, and that, that's what really set me apart. Me and my brother, we trained all throughout high school. Um, and the impact the weight room had on me, I don't go – FCS if I don't lift weight. I was the strongest guy. I squatted 500 pounds in high school. Uh, that doesn't, I don't go FCS if I don't do that, bar none. So for, for reference, I'm about 5'10 and a half, 5'11 in heels, um, like 250. So I don't, and I play D-line in college. There's no way I'm able to hang in there as a shade or a 2I at 260 at my heaviest in college if I'm not the strongest guy on the team. Not happening, no way. Um, so the weight room did wonders for me. It allowed me to compete at that level, one, to be good in high school, but to be good enough to go on and play at that level. Without the weight room, without the training, it flat out does not happen. So I believe in the power of the weight room. I know it for a fact. Um, one, for a living, but two, I went through it myself, which is, I think, extremely valuable for any coach. Y you have to do it yourself and you have to understand it. Um, and it certainly did for me. Um, and I always had trainer, I had trainers on and off. Sometimes I did it kind of on my own. Everybody on Long Island, if you're familiar with New York, um, Long Island's hustle and bustle, very go, go, go. Um, so typical kind of gym bro atmosphere. So everybody on Long Island gets started, at least before the age of social media, with a bodybuilding magazine at the barbershop, because that's what we read on Long Island at the barbershop. Maybe you have Sports Illustrated at Long, on Long Island, it's bodybuilding magazines. So that's what we did. We popped over Flex Magazine. It's like, okay, what's a Dorian Yates's back program. And that's what we did for years. You know, I dug up an old training log of mine from like eighth grade. It's literally the same workout for like two years, which not optimal, but it worked start. Um, but that's what we did. Not that bodybuilding stuff is optimal for football, but it's how you got started. Um, 
so that's what we did. And then just going on, I started to get more and more um, like sports specific training. That was kind of a new thing when I was in high school. And now it's on every street corner, which is great. Um, but that kind of a new thing that you can train to be a better athlete really piqued my interest. Um, and that's kind of where it got started. One, you have to train to be good at football, just being involved in the weight room, but then also getting that early taste of that sports performance going through it myself in high school. That's kind of where my whole journey starts of having actually done it. And then the result it gave me is kind of why I wanted to pursue this because I could give back. Um, that and I know I didn't want a real job. So I didn't want to sit in the cubicle with a shirt and a tie. Could not do it. And I'm sure everybody who's listening can like nod their head. Um, couldn't do it. So I knew I wanted to like teach. I had a knack for teaching. I feel like you know, helping my friends in the weight room. Um, so coaching seemed like a natural fit to me. So anybody who coaches, um, to be cliche, you know, it's a calling, right? It, it just, it, it, it speaks to you. Everything about it, just like, yes, that's what I want. You can help people. You can give back. You can have an impact. And everybody who's watching and listening is nodding like, yes. So it's, it's cliche that it was a calling, that this is what I wanted to do. Um, so I had that in the back of my mind. And then probably my sophomore year in college, I had a really good strength coach. And I was just like, that. The impact this guy has, like, that's what I want to do. So I knew that I was about, like, 19, 20, that sophomore age. This is what I wanted to do for sure. Um, but there was always that, what if do I want to coach? Maybe I want to coach football. So I actually got the opportunity to do both down the line. But that's kind of how this whole thing got rolling. So I played my four years. Um, I had four different strength coaches in four years, which – for my development physically, it wasn't great because we always had to restart every year, but I saw four different leadership styles, four different programs, four different ways of going about it for, for better or worse, and seeing both ends of the spectrum, good and bad, was extremely valuable as a developing coach, and it really helps me today, like, okay, we're not going to do it that way because that didn't help us, or this was awesome when I played. Not that I copy everything, but just from when I played, but having gone through it is, is absolutely huge. So when I was done playing, I interned with our strength staff in the spring. Uh, so we finished in the fall. And as soon as we were done playing, I started interning with our staff. So I was in there, you know, 6 a.m. with the guys, you know, doing the winter runs and, the, you know, football lifts in the morning. But then to get that exposure to, you know, soccer and swimming and lacrosse and seeing how all of them trained in the afternoon, that was my first real exposure to different sports. So that was awesome. Just to help out our, our coaches um, who, who coached me, my my strength coach, my senior year has been there I don't know, seven years now. Um, Craig Buckley is absolutely awesome. He kind of became my mentor going forward. Um, so from there, I graduated that spring, ended up doing an internship with UConn football under coach Matt Bayless, who's now the strength coach at Notre Dame football, um, to see and just to see how he ran a hot, uber high level program is was just a phenomenal experience. Wanted to get more hands-on, but just to see how an absolute top-tier elite professional does it was incredible. Like, no stone unturned. Everything charted out, plotted out, like, awesome. So that experience, that fall, I actually got a chance to do both, coaching football and strength. I, I, I knew I wanted to do be a strength coach, but there was always that what if. You know, I, I played football. Could I be, like, a D-line coach or something? I actually got the opportunity to coach at SUNY Maritime College, which is another small school here in New York in the Bronx. Um, so I got a chance to do both coaching football and the weight room. So it was a fantastic experience because I know what it's like to, you know, 
ODK to film and do the do the laundry after the games and on the on the road recruiting and you know the film breakdown. I see how the other half lives, and now I can speak the language with our coaches. Like I'll, I'll bump into our coaches all the time in the hallways. We'll talk about personnel. You know, we have these three guys. We can do this kind of thing, this kind of formation. We can speak the language a little bit, um, and that really helps translate to hey, what do we want to do? And I understand. I can speak that language um, because I had that experience as a position coach. Um, not only playing, but I can see the X's and O's, the big picture, um, having been through it and been in the game planning meetings and, and seeing all that. So it, that, that serves me well going forward um, and seeing how the other half lives, but understanding what a football coach or any sport coach goes through. I did it myself. Um, but, but then getting that experience of being able to do both, I knew I really wanted to do the weight room I want to be a strength and conditioning coach. That's coaching football was, was a great experience, but I want to be a strength coach. So I got the experience to go back to my alma mater under coach Buck, who was, you know, my mentor to really grow and develop as a strength coach. So I went back to Bryant as an assistant and that's kind of where I came of age. Um, so this, I graduated in the you know spring that may I was at maritime that August. So I, you know, I get a, a whole three months of experience. So being able to go back with like just about a year under my belt. Um, so I, I knew enough to kind of get started, but then to grow for the next three years under a mentor in a really good staff, that's kind of where I grew and, you know, became my own and developed my base of knowledge, uh, working with different, all different sports from, from diving to uh, swimming and field hockey and soccer on top of football um, to really get that true experience to be a, a veteran strength coach, um, actually know what you're doing. Um, and then from there, I got the opportunity to basically start up the strength program here at Hamilton, um, which is a great opportunity, a great situation to turn down. So we went with it and we're just finishing up year three here. So we do all 29 sports um, and 600 athletes in our not super big weight room. Uh, we've learned a ton. We have uh, some being division three and specifically in our, our NESCAC conference, if you're familiar with the, um, the NESCAC uh, we'll probably discuss that more later on, but the challenges we face logistically as far as the NESCAC rules and D3 rules and how we have to operate and some, a lot of the lessons we learned from trying to figure out how that works um, has made us so much better. When I say us, I mean my, myself and my assistant. I have an assistant strength coach, um, but the, what we've learned through all that has been phenomenal. So that's my story, how I really got started. My journey kind of starts in middle school reading bodybuilding magazines to here um, you know, three years in as a head strength coach. So that's kind of my whole deal there. Yeah. I, uh, I also used to look at the bodybuilding magazines when I was younger and my introduction to the weight room was through our high school coach, um, during middle school. So we, we were able to start doing, uh, weight training in eighth grade, but we'd have to be bussed over from the high school, from the middle school to the high school. Um, and our, our high school coach was really big in the weight room. And like you said, if it wasn't for the weight room and me being committed to that, I probably never would have seen the field. Um, because I'm, I was a smaller kid. I played offensive line, defensive line. I was a lot smaller than the other guys, but I was also by my junior senior year, I was one of the strongest on the team because of my commitment to the weight room and because of my coach who was so into um, strength and conditioning. And he was one of the only guys in our district who was really into it as much as he was. Um, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be into it as much as I am. Um, and so I really believe in the weight room 
especially for guys like me. Um, and even for the big time D one kids, if you can get in the weight room and, and work out, it, it'll take you sky high. Um, so I kind of resonate with you on that one coach. Sure. Um, the next question I kind of wanted to bring up was, um, and you kind of mentioned it and, and I want, I want you to bring it up. You're talking about how you had all 29 sports that use the same weight room and they all go through you. Um, so what's a day in the life of a strength coach, like specifically for you, um, mm-hmm. at a smaller school? That's a great question. And I hope some other strength coaches out there can, can listen to this one. So we, we do things a little differently. So the typical strength coaches schedule you're going to have morning groups and, and the way the schedule is dictated is based off when teams can get in. And a lot of it is dictated based off um, availability, class schedules, um, how many kids you can fit in your weight room. Um, and that's kind of where morning lifts are born from. It's, it's a logistics thing. If you're practicing, if you have meetings, you know, four to five and you're practicing five to seven, you're not going to lift at eight. So the only other thing you can do is lift before class. And that's kind of like how the six and 7am lifts became about is it's just a scheduling thing. That's all it is. Um, so most people's day is going to start um, somewhere between like 5 a.m. and 7 a.m., depending on when their first group is and how early they choose to get there. Um, our, first, our first group is 7 a.m. Uh, sometimes they'll start at like 6.45. We had the 6 a.m. lifts to start, um, but the kids didn't like it. Um, it was kind of far away. Like the, when they were done, the dining hall wasn't even open yet. So they, it didn't really work. So we ended up going from like, being open six to six to seven to seven. So we kind of bumped it back an hour and that just worked for everybody. So my earliest group is at seven and I'll get in there not too much before that. So I'm not one of those guys that gets in an hour early just to be there early. It's not, I, I, I don't, I don't guard my desk and I don't expect my assistants to guard their desk. Um, time is money and I'm not going to spend any more than I need to, whether it's time or money. Um, so I'm not a fan of getting there an hour ahead of time than what you need. If you need to set something up, that's your prerogative. I don't choose to do that. And I don't make anyone on my staff do that. So I get there probably 20 minutes before that first group. Um, And some people are probably steaming from their ears hearing that, but I really don't care when you're a head strength coach and you can run your weight room, how you want. I do how I want. And that's the fun part about being a head coach. You can do that. Um, So we'll start as early as seven. um, And we push back to 7 PM. So we'll have groups, uh, a 45 minute rotating block. So the first group is going to be about seven to seven forty-five, And then the next group is going to be about seven forty-five ish. Whenever that kind of natural switch happens to about eight 30, uh, so classes start at nine. We don't have 8am classes. I think there's a few, but it's not regular. Um, so the idea is to get kids out so they can go to class at nine. That's what it is. Um, and the 45 minute block is just, just the timing thing. So we can get teams through. We, we realized we weren't taking a full hour so we can kind of get more groups in in 45 minute blocks. Um, it, it, we can get more teams in more organized, but it also, it, it helps that get them in and out. So our rules are a little different. We can't have any structured team activity during the academic day. Cause we're, if you're not familiar with the NESCAC, it is an elite caliber academics. So Ivy league caliber, a lot of the NESCACs rank higher than the Ivy leagues as far as academic stuff. So Hamilton, we're, we're no exception to that. Um, so our kids, what you can't have any mandatory athletic between nine and four. It's the academic day. So they can come in and, and float through it. So we have a massive float block. So a lot of colleges will have what they call a float period or a drift, whatever you want to call it, where kids kind of float in. Sometimes they organize their own groups. Sometimes they just show up. So we have a massive float block 
and then we can do more organized stuff from like four to seven. So our, our busiest times are going to be from seven to nine and then four to seven. That said, that kind of nine to 12 block is going to be pretty quiet because a lot of kids are either in class at breakfast um, or still sleeping. So it's not super busy. So my assistant and I, we split the days up where somebody doesn't show up until a little later. We don't, we don't need both guys in at seven because it's a manageable group for one guy. Um, so there's no need to be there to guard our desk um, early. So I'll get in like well past 9am, which some people will think I'm crazy, but I really don't care. Um, so two days a week, I'm not in um, early at seven because I have a fantastic assistant that knows what he's doing. I have full trust in him. And I know our kids are well-trained. If I, I know our weight room can operate at a very, very high level if I'm not there breathing down their neck. I have a fantastic assistant, and I know our kids are well-trained, and they are dialed in. So I don't need to be there 7 a.m. every single day. Uh, that doesn't mean I show up at 4, 4 p.m. for those groups, but I'm not beating my head against the wall 60 hours a week. It's just flat-out not necessary. If I can get 600 kids in from Monday to Friday – you do not need to work 60 hours a week. It, it flat out doesn't need to happen. It's just organization and a lot of like breaking those rules of I have to grind. I have to be there seven to seven. And I went through it when I first got there. I said, no, I have to be on the head coach. I have to be there. You know, we have to grind. This is the way it's done. This is the way it's done. And I almost, stand, I kind of stamped my feet a little bit. Um, you know, this is the way it's done. And then my boss came to me and was like, hey, you don't need to kill yourself to get everybody through the weight room. And I was like, and I pushed back a little bit. I was like, Hey, we need to do it this way. Sure enough. We, you know, started to come a little later and later and save ourselves the, the time. And now we're fresh as a daisy. One thing that really helps us coach hard with energy is that we're not burnt out. If you're sitting there guarding your desk in the weight room and, you know, burning the candle at both ends, it's hard to coach effectively. It takes a lot of emotional energy. Um, we don't, grind like that because of that we're not burnt out and because we're not burnt out we have energy we can coach like our hair is on fire and really get in there and really hammer details and have energy because we're we're fresh right imagine that we want the guys to be fresh on game day well, what about the coaches it's the same concept because we can coach at such a high level the energy is so high that the, the product is so potent and concentrated it's in especially in our 45 minute groups and that's kind of a, a common theme for us it, it's such a potent not short, but concentrated expenditure of energy and in the training, but in the coaching as well. It's such a positive, high energy place. And it, and it comes from managing your own load as a coach. Um, as far as your own time, that comes from structuring and being able to trust your, trust your assistants and trust your kids optimally, right? You can't go out and run the plays for them. You have to send the play. And then it's like from snap to whistle, it's out of my hands. It's kind of the same concept. Um, you know, from, from as soon as the, the lift starts, they got to do the reps. So, you know, that's part of it. So as far as my schedule, I don't, I don't do 60 hours a week and we don't have anything on the weekends just cause we, we don't, we don't need to, we fly out, just don't need to, we get, we get everybody in. Um, so our day could be, it, our weekend room is open for 12 hours, but we're not there for 12 hours the whole time. Um, so some, a lot of guys do now, if you're, if you're a one man show, and you have to do the whole thing, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I'm lucky to have an assistant um, and a lot of guys don't. So my schedule is a little different from um, a typical strength coach, but it's still going to be early. You're still going to push well past 5, 5 p.m. Um, so that's kind of my schedule. Now, as far as getting our teams 
through um, 45 minute blocks. And the reason we do 45 minutes is because that's all we found. That's all you really need. And that's just the weight room. Our conditioning stuff is done separately. Uh, but just the weight room, 45 minute blocks, our workouts are not short. It's enough. There's a point where enough is enough and more is not better. Right. The whole point of training is to apply enough of a training stimulus where growth happens and then you recover and your body adapts to that training. And that's, there's your gains, there's your results. So we found that enough level is a lot less than you think you can apply a 45 minute lift really, you know, you know, five to five to seven minute warm up, and a lift can take you 35, 40 minutes tops. And you can see fantastic gains. We have kids that squat, you know, well over double body weight, deadlift from the ground, you know, all those great things, both males and females. Um, and it doesn't, we rarely ever go over 45 minutes. It's usually less than 45 minutes and more just is not necessary. So that's one of the reasons we, we do it that way. One, just to get logistically people through, but you just don't need more than that. Uh, for example, our softball, our softball girls are absolutely fantastic. They have a knack to finish every single lift in exactly 37 minutes. I don't know how they do it. I could say go out and run, run a marathon and they will finish a marathon in 37 minutes I, every single time. And they, they, you know, they, they box squat 225 and we have girls that squat 250 and ripping out chin-ups. Um, it's all on Instagram. If you don't take a look at it, don't take my word for it. But it's all on there, 37 minutes. Um, and that's, that kind of ties in with our schedule. It's potent, concentrated workouts, potent concentrated schedule, high energy, uber fresh, tons of recovery, just so explosive, so powerful, so high energy and concentrated that we're never dead because we don't grind. I don't grind them in training. We don't grind them in conditioning. We're always so fresh and that make the gains are so there because we're always recovered. We're always able to train at a high level because we're not burnt out both coaches and players. And that's a huge part. Um, that's a huge overarching theme of the way I do things. Um, it's not that less is more. I, I don't want to say like this is whole minimal approach that people are adopting. It's not minimal. It's just enough is enough and more is not better. And enough is a lot less than we thought it was. You don't need to grind the kids in the weight room for an hour and a half, four days a week. It's flat out unnecessary. I would even say that's suboptimal because now you're just giving them more to recover from. Um, and that's how we, we've adopted that kind of approach in our programming and our training is that enough is enough and no more. Um, so we build that into our, um, our team schedule, our coaches schedule, the training programs itself. Um, and that's kind of like an overarching, overarching theme um, of how we do things and how I, how I run the weight room. So I know I kind of went a little off tangent about our schedule, but there's way more to it than just, show up at nine, leave at five. It's, it's the why and the reasoning behind it. So how we do it is a little different than others. Um, but that's the reason why is, um, that post concentrated, fully recovered kind of experience. Yeah. And, uh, I think what you were talking about the burnout and I've known quite a few coaches who think they have to put in more time, more time, more time, more time. All we need is more, more, more. And, they just get so stressed out and burned out that that more time really doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. Um, you're just making the kids tired or you're making yourself tired and, you know, harming relationships and stuff like that. It, what you were saying speaks to me, speaks volumes. And I think that's something that not just strength coaches can take, 
but other coaches as well. So other football coaches as well can take that into account. Um, and, you know, like you said, enough is enough and no more. I like that one. I might steal that. <laughs> Feel free. There's a great book. It's called uh, Essentialism by Greg McQueen, McCowan. I forgot how to pronounce his last name. But it's um, the, the key phrase from that is do less but better. Do less okay. but better. And, and that's exactly what it is. You know, I think of is um, Paul Johnson with his, with his call sheet. You know, Paul, Paul Johnson's call sheet is this size, right? It's, okay, who made the tackle? All right, option right, dive left. It's, he knows, right? You do six things, but you do them really, really, really well. You know, how successful is Paul Johnson running the option? Really successful. It's like you don't, you don't need this diner menu of things in the weight room. You know, you need, you need Paul Johnson's index card, and you do those things really, 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 really well. There you go. So I love – I just – I picture Paul Johnson with his index card. I'm like, that, that's what I want to be with what we do. That makes total sense, Coach. All right, listeners, we are going to take a short break. This episode is brought to you in part by High and Tight Footballs. High and Tight Footballs are the world's only self-contained, pressure-measuring, multi-sensory, instant, audible feedback training footballs on the market. They have been used by NFL Hall of Fame players, NFL coaches, collegiate All-Americans, and players at all levels. Listeners, the Armchair Coaching Podcast can actually receive a 10% discount on any products purchased from High and Tight by using the discount Link below in the description and by using the discount code ACP. Make sure you type in ACP at checkout to get a 10% discount on any items purchased from highandtight.com. This episode was brought to you in part by Knack Bags. Knack was created to make it easier for multitasking mobile professionals to get from point A to point B without lugging a bunch of bags. Their multi-purpose products combine the best features of a stylish daily-use computer backpacks with a patent-pending hidden compartment that you can easily access. Expand and pack like a suitcase whenever you need extra space for travel, the gym, or anywhere your life takes you. You can find Knack products exclusively at knackbags.com. Listeners of the Armchair Coaching Podcast can check the description of this episode below to find a special link to go to purchase Knack products. I'd like to thank our new sponsor, Launchpad Kickoff Tee, for joining us here on the Armchair Coaching Podcast family. Coaches, are you looking for that competitive edge, but you might not be paying attention to the kickoff game? Well, this is the company for you. I'd like you to go check them out. I have one sitting right here in my hand. It's incredibly unique. It's got a very large surface area and incredibly flexible wings. And so what this does for you here, it gives you extreme flexibility with how you want to kick off. Do you want to use the patented forward lean? Well, if you don't know what that is, go ahead and check out their website. You can do just about anything you want. You can dial up different types of squib kicks just with the different angles. You can literally do just about anything with this. And the nice thing is they send you this piece of paper here that goes with diagrams that show you all the different angles and techniques that they've discovered so far. And they are incredibly helpful on their website. I highly recommend you check them out. If you're interested, do me a favor. I want you to go to launchpadkickoftee.com slash ACP. Make sure you add the slash ACP. And if you're interested in buying one, if you go to this specific website, you can find the link, the, the link in the description below. 
you actually get a discount. You're going to get a 10% discount just from using the, the Armchair Coaching Podcast link. If you want to buy one, if you want to buy two, that's a savings of 25%. And if you buy three, you're actually going to get one for free. All right. So those are some huge deals that you're going to get there. So do us a huge favor. Check out our sponsor at Launchpad Kickoff Tea. Make sure that you go to this specific site, launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. Launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. On the kickoff, it's not like all the other kickoff teas that you have. It's incredibly unique. Okay, we are back with Coach Pat Basil, the head strength and conditioning coach from Hamilton College in New York State. And um, Coach, the next topic I wanted to talk about is you had mentioned earlier that you guys have an interesting, like a shorter training schedule. Um, and so I kind of wanted to bring that up because a lot of States, you know, the football season was pushed to the spring, um, which kind of gives us a unique problem where we haven't had this problem. Cause usually we have like six, eight months of training time, you know, to get ready for the next season. Uh, we start our next season in about three months. Um, and we haven't, we've had an interesting situation where our county has not allowed um, teams to be using the weight room. Uh, so we haven't had any weight training in over a year, at least. And we're in a unique situation where some of our opponents in other counties actually have been doing it and we haven't. So we're hopefully going to be able to get back into the weight room soon and hopefully start strength training, but it's going to be a rel- very short period of time. Do you have, um, some thoughts and tips for other coaches who are in the same situation who are like, we got to get ready for a football season in three months. What, how can we optimally use the weight room in that short amount of time? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, and this is when I, when I approach situations like that, you kind of take a deep breath, kind of like I just did. And you think about, okay, what's my situation? What have I been able to do? What's next? What are my options? And you kind of, you can even list out on paper, okay, where are we at? What do we need to get done? What are the limitations we have? And then the program, you just kind of answer those questions and then the program writes itself. So a few different options you can look at, and I'll kind of go through a few hypotheticals, but the, the overarching concept is like, okay, take a deep breath. Don't panic. Where are we at? How much time do we have? What are we able to do? And then go from there. And that, that kind of writes the program. So it's not, so let's, let's take a look at this. Um, So these are the common, probably two or three common things I've seen or have heard with this particular kind of COVID situation. So let's start with a situation like yours. You haven't been able to do anything besides practice. Let's say we get them for the summer we're able to move, move some bars outside and train. Let's say we can train for the summer. Um, and then we're, so let's say camp starts in August. So we have, let's say we started, you know, mid May, we get June, July, we get about like eight, 10 weeks. So let's say from this point, we've done nothing in the weight room. They have no, they've lost all their strength gone. All right. So we're starting from absolute ground zero in, let's say May, we got about eight to 10 weeks to work with them. So, Assume they've never seen the weight room before, even if you have a structured training plan. And we, we went through this um, in the fall. A lot of our kids weren't able to train during the lockdowns in the summer. 
Um, or some kids just had, you know, a high risk grandmas at home, can't risk it, whatever um, they have, you know, or they have like uh, bronchitis or know, asthma and they couldn't risk it going to a gym. So we came in this past August with the, with the understanding that nobody has ever seen a weight room before. And we are restarting from the basics. We're going to start with teaching movements with our most basic options. So we're going to teach them how to like do a goblet squat with a dumbbell or, you know, a squat fairly light with just the bar, then maybe going up really slowly, really re reteaching your basic movements with lesser volume and volume meaning total sets and reps and really kind of reteaching. So imagine you, your team had never lifted before. What would you do? That's what you're going to do. And that's only going to take you so far. So be it too bad. That's what you get. It is what it is. You're not going to get your team into world-class shape, having not done anything in a year. It's not going to happen, which is fine. You have to meet them where they're at and take the progression as far as you can in the time you have, and then you got to go. You got to play, and it is what it is. You get what you get. So that understanding of you can't rush the process, and if you have to start from ground zero, you're only going to get so far, and that's okay. You're doing the best with what you have. Um, but we can't cram a year's worth of training into an eight to 10 week block. We're going to start like they had never lifted before, reteach your basics, execute the basics really, really well, go up slowly, don't crush them, and then see how far that gets you. Um, one positive we found that kind of strength recall comes back pretty quickly. So let's say you had a kid in your weight room for two years and he made some pretty good progress, then wasn't able to train for a year we found the strength comes back fairly quickly. So it's all hope is not lost. Um, for example, I have one, one hockey player. He's a super twitchy dude. And he's like our top scorer, super explosive guy. Having not been able to do anything, he was within 5% of his max strength in like six weeks. So it comes back very quick. That, that's, that's nothing I did. That's this kid is a, is a, just a, a super genetically talented kid. Um, but we found that across the board within like eight weeks, we were within five to 10% of their best having been in our program for the last two years. So that, that strength recall does come back and maybe it's different, you know, with 14 to 16 year olds, but at the college level, we found that and that was really, really interesting to see. Uh, it was kind of like a real time experiment. So if you're coming from nothing and you have a couple of months, restart from ground zero, really teach them master what you're doing. Don't rush the process. And as far as it gets you, it gets you. Um, and that's it. And then you're in your in-season training, which touching kind of going off track a little bit. This is why it's so important to train in season is for the same, for the same reason. If you train throughout the off season and then stop in August, you're doing the same thing. Like, let's say you get started back up in December or January, you make all this progress. And for anybody who's listening, I'm kind of doing like a, a waving motion with my hand. And then the season hits, you lose all your strength and you go back. So if you kind of ebb and flow, you, you're never making any progress. Um, so this is why it's so important to train in season. So you never have that dip. You can continuously make progress, um, especially at that high school developmental level. You can continue to get stronger in season because they're growing and they're, they're developing and just kind of learning the skill of lifting weights properly and just good technique and becoming better skilled lifters they'll continue to get stronger. So that's why it's so important to train year round and especially in season 
even in a non-COVID year, you can't hit the reset button every January. You're not going to develop that way. So it, it just kind of reinforces the point of consistent training is so important, um, even in a non-COVID year. So circling back, um, if, you're in a, if you went from nothing to now you have to restart, start with your basics, execute them really well, and then take it as far as it gets you. Let's say you've had, you've had let's say you have the, the winter, you were closed in the fall, but you were able to train like in the spring. So you had a little bit of a winter, then you had a little bit of a, a spring season. Now you're, you have somewhat of a base. Um, so there's two things you got to look at. One, you, you have a base of training, but you're also coming off, like I say, a six-game season. So you have, you have two goals here. So I'm thinking back, like Bryant. Bryant played four games, um, but they, they were able to train in the winter and then even the fall. Um, so you have some sort of a base strength level. But you did play four games, and you had a preseason before that. So you do have you know, six to eight weeks of contact you do need to recover from. So if you're in this boat, um, this kind of second scenario, you have two goals. Your first goal is, one, you kind of need to recover from the season, same as you would in, say, December, winter break in a normal year. So that first two weeks, you need to recover from the season and then get into your training. So your first step is going to be, reteaching some of the movements just with a little more weight than you have because you do have that strength base, um, but a little more joint friendly stuff. So let's say you back squat, you know, heavy throughout the season, maybe you switch back to a front squat to kind of unload the back and just mix up a different stimulus and a little more volume back in to kind of recondition them and then get back into your training. So it's you, the first step is still recover from the season and kind of reteach and recondition them to get back into hard training. And then you can go into your, your summer training hard because you, you, you do have a base from that winter and spring, you know, you trained in season, which isn't quite the same, but then you recondition, you have that base to keep going. So you can have a more traditional summer, but you're always going to go back to talking with your guys and having, having their relationship and being able to communicate and saying, okay, Hey, you feeling, um, are you sore? Are you beat up? How your joints feel from the season? having your relationship with your guys is going to be so important. Um, your training can really be dictated off that. Like how you guys feel, how you holding up, how your ankles, knees, hips, shoulders feel. Um, and you can kind of base your training off that. If they're still feeling good, go ahead and push kind of like you would in a normal summer because they did have just, you know, six to eight weeks of football. They should be in good shape, right? So you, you don't need as much of a lead in time as you would with that first situation. So I would always start with a little less just to be safe, but then you, you can accelerate a little more than you would in that first situation, pretty close to what you would do in a typical summer, um, but still having that ongoing conversation with your guys um, and seeing where they're at, how they're feeling, how they're holding up, uh, and are they moving the bar with good velocity, and does it look snappy and whatnot? Um, do they look like it's good quality? Is the energy there? That's a huge one. Um, they look like somebody kicked their dog and they didn't get any sleep. They probably didn't. Um, but if they're looking good and the weights are moving good and they're hitting their percentages, what they should, you're good to go. So you have that base and you have a base of conditioning from the season. You just played, you know, practice two hours a day for six days a week. Um, you, you can go. And then the, you know, the third, the third situation is going to be, you were able to train in the fall, you train in the winter, you came into that spring season in really good shape. Um, still kind of give them that two to three week reconditioning phase, but then you can probably train as you normally would. Um, you're going to have more condensed contact than you would 
but you're going to get that in spring ball anyway, just to a lesser extent. So not trying not to get too advanced. You might want to start with more like joint friendly movements, um, things like floor presses instead of a full range bench. Uh, you could, you don't have to do that or more dumbbell work to start instead of hammering just barbell work so much, a little more joint friendly because there's a lot of contact they just had and they had a lot of contact coming up. So to kind of, back off the stress of their joints a little bit but those are going to be minor tweaks things like trap more trap bar deadlifts instead of back squat or more front squats in a back squat at least for maybe the first half of that training and then you can double back down with your heavy stuff um, not that it won't be heavy not that you're training hard just with more joint friendly uh, more joint friendly stuff uh, if you have specialty bars like a neutral grip bench versus a straight barbell bench all the time it's just and these are kind of tips and tricks um, if you don't have any of that stuff available, you'll probably be okay just doing what you do. Um, just going back to conversation with your guys, um, maybe more of a deload than you normally would. You know, six weeks in, you take a lighter week and let, let them recover. Um, it's just going that, on, that ongoing conversation because we're not exactly sure. Um, you know, it's not a typical spring ball. It's not a typical season. You're going from a full season to a full season. We really haven't had that. So it, how what's the what's the right prescription we don't really we don't exactly know so it's train like you normally would i think i think you'll be all right in that third scenario but again always having that ongoing conversation with your guys of how they're feeling how they're looking um and they should be fine so those are kind of three scenarios that i've heard of or i've seen and how i would approach that um, kind of in each scenario. But I think that first one where you're going from nothing, restart your program. Cause I think this is going to be the most common restart your training, reteach that movement quality and movement mastery is going to be way more important than how much weight is on the bar. I cannot stress that enough. If you're, if you move well and you execute the lifts, well, the weight will come, the strength will come back. Movement quality first, fantastic teaching, flawless execution. You do that consistently, even just in a normal year for any type of training, the gains will come. Um, but don't try to rush an entire off-season of training into what it is. Strive for mastery, less but better, mm-hmm. and the gains will come. Um, that's how I would approach that, that um, kind of restarting summer period. Those are some great points that you made coach. And I'm probably going to take a lot of that into consideration because um, I'm probably going to be helping out our head coach with uh, coming up with our strength and conditioning program this year. And we're in a tight boat. We're a tight ship right now trying to figure out how to do it. Um, Which kind of brings me to the next topic and which is going to be my last question for you is um, tips for young coaches trying to get into strength and conditioning. Um, Personally, I, am studying to take the test to um, earn a CSCS, which is a certified strength and conditioning specialist, um, to become a strength coach and to help um, help our teams better use the weight room. And But the thing for me, most coaches, the most experience they have with strength and conditioning is just lifting weights, either in high school or college. Uh, we don't all have a specific sports science or strength and conditioning background. Like personally, I have a master's degree in biology, which is, which is the pre-med degree. I just decided not to go to med school. So I have the background in phys, uh, physiology, anatomy. Um, you know, I'd have some neuroscience stuff 
And I have that background, but I honestly, I have almost zero background in coming up with a program, um, you know, zero background in, you know, periodization and hypertrophy and all that kind of stuff. So I, that is stuff that I have to learn myself. And a lot of other coaches are in the same boat. Um, how would you get started? If someone who is interested in, in getting into strength and conditioning, how would you get started? And um, what resources are out there for those young coaches who just need a little bit of help? For sure. Um, so it's a fantastic question. And this is not just for young coaches. This is for anybody, any age that wants to get better in the weight room and really learn that skill because it is extremely valuable. Um, as far as getting certified, the, the, the benefit the benefit to all this is you can learn, you will learn everything you need to know to be a great strength coach after school. Um, for reference, I was a psychology undergrad and a business minor. Um, I had no science, exercise science classes, experience. You know, I went to a branch of business school. I got a psychology degree from a business school and I'm a strength coach. How does that work? That works because everything you need to learn, you learn after school. It's through your applied practice. Um, and a lot of exercise science programs are very good at teaching like the science and the app, the science and the kind of physiology, which is important to understand, but that practical applied coaching is really missing. Um, and a lot of recent grads have trouble bridging that gap. They, they can list out the Krebs cycle, you know, they can write it out by hand, but you can't teach a squat. Well, that don't help you. So everything you need to, you need to learn, you can learn on your own through your own study. So that's a huge positive. And I'm telling you, I, I didn't have that exercise science background. You can learn it and you will learn it. Um, as far as getting certified, the NSCA CSCS, so the Certified Strength Conditioning Specialist through the National Strength Conditioning Association, NSCA, is the gold standard. Um, the two things you need from that, you do need a bachelor's degree. And you need to be a CPR AED certified. You have to send those into the NSCA and you have to sit and take the test, which is like a four hour, two part test. It's long and it's hard. Uh, it's kind of like an SAT, but it's extremely important to have, you know, you should have a base of qualifications. You know, having read a bodybuilding magazine when you're in eighth grade does not qualify you to be a strength coach. And it certainly doesn't qualify you to teach young developing people with impressionable minds, how to approach training. Um, so that, that certification is a great start. But again, it's a start. Once you get it, it's, it's probably it equates to a driver, um, a learner's permit. You have the qualification to learn under, kind of teach yourself and learn. Just because you're certified doesn't mean you're qualified. But you can become qualified by, by your own experience and training yourself and learning under more experienced coaches and then just getting more reps coaching yourself. So for young coaches and anybody who wants to learn, um, just, just the skill, any, any, any position coach or whatever, um, you can start by reading. Podcasts are great, but I would get some kind of practical experience if you can swing it. Um, go to your local college or high school that has a program and ask if you can intern, even if it's two days a week. If you can watch one team and be able to start learning and start progressing. YouTube is another fantastic resource. You know, type YouTube, how to teach a squat. There's countless videos on there that you can do. Um, let's say you, you find a program somewhere. Um, how do I teach this? How do I teach that? Or, or YouTube the exercises and kind of learn it. 
and just to be able to teach the exercise is probably the first start. So you can learn everything you need. Um, I would get that practical hands-on experience under through interning. So if you're a young coach specifically, you're, you're going to need to start adding semesters of experience to your resume. So you're going to have to apply for internships, whether it's at a college, a high school, uh, you know, a local private facility, anything where you can get hands-on watching experienced coaches teach, get some guided experience coaching um, and starting to learn what works, what doesn't work and start to bridge that gap between what you learn in college and what you're actually going to use as a coach in the field. So getting some hands-on experience is absolutely crucial. Um, and then as far as resources, um, the NSCA essentials textbook is going to be huge. If you're going to pass the test, you have to basically memorize that book front to back. It's a lot. Um, and there's a bunch of other fantastic resources out there. Um, but that said, not everybody has a time to devote to um, studying for this test or not everybody said, okay, I have, you know, I have my team, you know, I have 50 guys on the roster. We train, you know, two one hour groups. Do I really need this certification? Maybe something you approach down the line, but to start, I just need a base of knowledge to, to work off of. Um, how to how to write a great program. And there's a lot of coaches out there that are trying to do right by their kids and trying to do the right thing. They just don't have that that knowledge of the science and program design and things like that. Um, but they're trying to do the right thing, but they just kind of lack that that knowledge base behind it. It's like kind of coaching a position you've, you've never coached before. You have an idea and you do your best, but if you've never played it or coached it, it's not going to be what you need it to be. You have to learn that position or learn the offense or whatever it is. So I actually looked at that um, after having kind of watched um, a high school, a high school in the weight room. Um, the, the program was fairly solid, but I could just tell the coach didn't really know how to teach the exercises. And then there was one kid doing something really wrong. Um, and the kid was about to get hurt. And there was another coach standing there just watching the kid. Um, and I was watching this coach, watch this kid almost get hurt. And you know, I stepped in and helped the kid out, you know, fix this technique, but that coach just did not recognize that that was bad. Um, so getting that practical experience, absolutely huge. That kind of dawned on me that there's a lot of guys out there that are trying to do the right thing by their, by their kids, but just don't have that practical experience. Um, so I wanted to kind of provide a solution for that. So what I did is I came up with a series, a couple of manuals for that kind of thing. Um, so one is a, a, pro, a strength program design manual. So it's everything you need to know Again, in that concentrated um, layout of like, okay, I'm taking a 500-page textbook and condensing it down into one PDF document that you need to know. And then I have some templates, workout templates that you can literally plug and play with, with, with um, preset examples on there. So you could literally read you know, the practical science explained in a less scientific way. Like, hey, I'm as a veteran strength coach, here's what you need to know I'm telling you. You know block out all the other stuff. Here's the streamlined SparkNotes versions of what you need to know. And then here's some templates to follow to start with an exercise pool of, okay, pick these things, plug it in, literally plug and play, like paint by the numbers. And then once you kind of are able to design your own program and understand why things are the way they are, why they need to be a certain way, then you're kind of, you understand how to do things on your own. Um, and I do the same thing with, with the conditioning program. So I have another conditioning program manual, same idea. Um, what is the difference between speed and acceleration? Um, what is lack, what is lactic acid training? Uh, what is aerobic training? Why is it important? How should I structure these? You know, what, 
what do I do? I, what do I do besides running laps around the field to train a football player? So it's the same idea. Here's the science and practical things you need to know and some templates to follow. So it's literally me saying, okay, as a practicing strength coach in the field, here's everything you need to know. And here it is in a bite-sized form where you can go out, read this, get started, and then worry about your, your certification, all that kind of as you go. Um, so those are some great resources out there, stuff I, you know, I have myself. And I also have um, programs, training programs available, both strength and conditioning programs. So if you want something just to follow, you have a pretty good idea, you can take one of the programs um, and use that on your team, both the strength program and the conditioning program and some other stuff. Um, YouTube is a fantastic example. There's a ton of other great books out there, but that hands-on experience um, is absolutely fantastic. And another great one is podcasts like this because you're, you're taking, uh, you know, here again, I'm a strength coach. I'm telling you, here's what you need to do and here's what you need to know. And there's countless episodes and other fantastic guys and guys and girls out there that they're telling you, okay, here's our experience. Here's what's done. So books, podcasts, social media is fantastic. Uh, strength and conditioning, Twitter, for all the squabble, squabbles we get into, it's a, there's a ton of guys sharing great stuff. Um, guys in the high school and in college and private sector, just, it's a fantastic ongoing conversation. So if you do nothing but just pop on Twitter and start to scroll through, you can learn an absolute ton. So if, you're, if, you, get, if you want to start anywhere right now, just pop on Twitter. Pop on Twitter and start scrolling through. Um, you can look for me. If you see me, you'll see other people I kind of converse with. Um, and that's a great place to get started. But getting that practical experience um, is going to be absolutely huge. And then starting to formulate that knowledge base, either through study or through other resources that are available. Um, that's what you need to start with. That's awesome, Coach. Uh, last thing, if a listener um, wanted to get into contact with you and ask you any questions, what would be the best way that they could contact you? Uh, the best way is probably just through Twitter or Instagram. Um, just shoot me a DM. My email is on the Hamilton website. It's just pbasil at Hamilton. Um, go ahead and email me. But if you want to, just um, DM me on social media, either Twitter or Instagram. Uh, if you can't get a hold of me there, email is the best way. Um, so my, my social media is just pbasilstrength, all one word. Um, just DM me. It's the easiest way to, this is the easiest way to go about it. I get a ton of DMs. I'm like happy, super happy to share and help people because you're going to, helping you is going to help your team. And I want to help as many people as I can. It's, it's my goal. So feel free to shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. I'll definitely get back to you. Well, coach, I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. No, it's, it's been great. To, it's been great to talk and, you know, give back and it's been a lot of fun. All right. This has been coach Sheffer and, and we are signing off.